Powered by Clear Vision Development Group, this is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Welcome to Better Than Before. Tony Richards here. This is the CEO Leaders Podcast Show, where we have one clear objective. We provide tools, information, and some entertainment to make you better than before in business and in life. Thank you so much for subscribing because you get a little alert on your device or on your laptop every time we drop a new episode each and every Tuesday. And on the show today, I'm going to be talking about another growth challenge that you could be having in your business. But before we get to that, I want to remind you about the self-esteem workshop that's coming up on Tuesday, May 28th. This is a one-day interactive experience. It's more interactive than it is teaching and lecturing I will do some of that, but we will spend a lot of time just conversing, talking, working through some exercises. The first one we did was in 2018, and we got some great reviews. You should go to our YouTube channel and uh, look up Clear Vision Development or go to our clearvisiondevelopment.com website and look up the video for the self-esteem workshop because we've got several testimonials of people who came last year who really enjoyed the experience, and I think you will too. You have no idea how much self-esteem affects your performance. And if we can give you that special little edge and build up your self-esteem just a couple of points, you could see exponential results in your performance on a daily, weekly, monthly, and annual basis. So I'm looking forward to seeing you. Again, you go to our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com, get more details, and sign up for the Self-Esteem Workshop coming Tuesday, May 28th. If you need a business advisor or a coach, I'd love to talk about working with you. You can follow me on Twitter at Tony Richards 4 You can contact me info info at clearvisiondevelopment.com and most of the time when i get contacted by a business owner a ceo or a president they're having some issues with their team or their business and it usually revolves around their growth being stalled or plateauing in some way and some of that could be due to your staff morale And I'm going to talk more about staff morale and culture and climate as a challenge in your organization coming up in segment three today and better than before. So you want to stay tuned for that. Better Than Before is sponsored by University Subaru. From here, been here, always will be here. University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. The all new three row Subaru Ascent. Room for up to eight passengers. Choice of second row captain's chairs or bench seating. Standard EyeSight driver assist technology. Coming from Kelly Blue Book's most trusted brand for four years running. The Subaru Ascent. Love is now bigger than ever. University Subaru, your locally owned dealer. From here, been here, always will be here. 
Do you apologize for your behavior? Are you constantly worrying about what others think about you or frequently criticize yourself? Self-esteem affects everything we do and is one of the key indicators of success in business. Tony's new self-esteem workshop will help you develop the tools necessary to empower you to overcome the pressure and unfamiliarity of professional and personal circumstances. Through Tony's guidance, you'll learn how to perceive threats and vulnerabilities to better prepare for challenging situations, resolve the baggage that keeps you back, and improve self-esteem when you need it most. Join us on May 28th for this one-day self-esteem workshop. Space is limited. Don't let low self-esteem hold you back from living the life you'd like to live. Register online now at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. You know, I hold a lot of different kinds of certifications, and one of the ones that I have is as a brand strategist. And I'm often asked about when starting a business, how to build the brand and how to incorporate it into the company culture. Over the past several shows, since we started Better Than Before, we've interviewed several experts from across the country that work with companies to develop their brand and define their culture. For instance, Grant Kimball, CEO of Brand Insight and a certified brand strategist. Last season, we talked about the importance of planning a brand your company can grow with. Listen to Grant. I think some of the things that are really worth thinking about in terms of the brand really early on is, you know, the first component is really what's the purpose? Why does the brand exist? Why is it relevant to the customer? as there's some purpose beyond just the core product or service idea. Yeah, what are you trying to do to improve people's lives and be relevant to them? The second component is the brand identity. What does the brand represent to the customer and you know, who's behind it? Isn't that the part that people generally gravitate to the most? They gravitate toward it in the sense that they know that they need a logo. Right. Um, and so brand identity is a lot about creating the symbols that represent your company and represent what it stands for and, and what that experience is like. But I think most people start and stop with the concept that they just need a logo to launch the business. So it really does go beyond that. And you know, the needs don't have to be super complex in the early phases of starting a company. If you kind of have a sense of what your purpose is you create the symbols like logos to represent you and have them done in a way that is you know, very professional and represents you well on the market. Uh, you know what the primary benefit is to your customer and you know how to communicate that promise to the customer in a way that they know why you're valuable to them. And then you always think about that experience that a customer is having with you, whether they're calling you or going to your website or using your product or you know, dealing with anybody in your company, if you've thought through that experience, those are just kind of the simple things that a business in early stages can be thinking about. At the end of the day, a brand is about differentiation. If you are not different, then you're not going to get a foothold in the market and you're not going to be able to maintain your pricing and your margins. Uh, you're not going to grow the way that you want to. So you really have to understand that sense of what makes you unique and different and valuable and define the things that support that. 
Uh, so a, a lot of times in marketing, you hear the terms unique value proposition, unique selling proposition. Um, th those are valuable concepts to define two, three, or four kind of pillars that build your brand and make the business valuable. And so it's important to define those things early so that you know that that's what's guiding your decision making as a company. And it keeps it keeps you focused on the prize and on making decisions that are going to build value and not let you get distracted. So those are really the main things as you have that sense of what makes you different and why you exist and what those three to five pillars are that you can build on. And that would keep you focused. And, and not that they don't change down the road a little bit. You, at least you're intentional about that change and, and you know that the market is progressing and you have to make changes in your business to react. How crucial is it for your brand strategy and your business strategy to be linked up? It's crucial. It's impossible to separate the brand from the business strategy. They are incredibly linked because the the thing that you want to be known for, the things that you want to represent have to be delivered by the business strategy. If you know you want your customers to have a certain experience, then it's going to impact the way that you sell your product, the way that you train people to represent the product, the distribution channels that you use, the way you package it, uh, the way that you handle customer service, um, the way that you create your digital marketing experience, all of those pieces of the business and all of the functions that handle it with inside an organization all have to have a guiding principle that they know they have to support. And that guiding principle is the brand. It's the reason for their existence. It's the thing that makes them competitive and different in the market. And so if each business function isn't asking themselves, what can I do to better deliver on that promise? Then you'll find that the brand uh, has less meaning. It becomes diluted. It, uh, the market gets confused about what it stands for. So the business strategy you know, has to have that principle to align to so it stays focused. What's one thing that businesses can do uh, with their employees to make sure that there's alignment with the brand? Well, number one is define the brand. Uh, define it really clearly in what the company stands for, what makes it distinct, and then what are the components of the brand you know, that make that up? So if you want to be known for outstanding customer service, what does that mean to the customer? What does that experience look like? And then you have to connect that then to everybody's job inside the company. So if I work in customer service, obviously I'm gonna have a pretty strong connection every day with what it means to deliver excellent customer service. And if I'm in marketing, then I probably know that I need to go out and, and make sure that our marketing messaging and our campaigns are all built around that concept of excellent service. But if I'm in finance, what do I feel my connection is to that? Or if I'm in manufacturing, uh, what does my connection feel like? So it's really important for the CEO and the leadership team to Make sure that it's really clear how everybody's job, how every function inside the organization relates to the brand and how they help deliver it. So in finance, it might be the way you negotiate contracts, the, the, the terms that you put in your contracts, the way the contract is delivered, um, the way that you, know, you might thank them when it's done. Um, 
the way the billing is handled, if there's any questions, how good are you at answering those questions and making the customer feel like that, you, you know, you want to make sure that there's a good experience for them. So it, it really is taking a look at every function in the organization and, and making sure that it's really clear that every single person there is responsible for delivering that brand experience, even if they're not the ones working in customer service. Um, there are places throughout a company where a customer is coming into contact with that brand. The next expert I've talked with over the history of the show is Denise Lee Yan. She's a brand expert and author of the book Fusion, How Integrating Brand and Culture Powers the World's Greatest Companies. And she expands on the importance of the brand to your company's culture. So for years, uh, as a CEO advisor and coach, I've advised my clients in the CEO position that there are six or seven things that you really need to be responsible for and accountable for, and you need to really pay attention to it. And maybe you haven't so much before, mm -hmm. but always on that list of six or seven things is culture. Mm. And also one that they're not used to hearing is brand. So I was really excited when your book Fusion came out because it's about this process of combining and synchronizing those two things, culture and brand. Now, how did this big idea sort of uh, conceptualize for you? Well, it first started when I was heading up brand and strategy at Sony Electronics. And at the time, the president and the chief marketing officer, uh, this is back in the late 90s, even back then had started to kind of see that the equity and strength of the Sony brand might be waning. But instead of asking me to work on some big external brand campaign, they asked me to focus on internal brand engagement and alignment. I think, you know, they were very wise and understanding that we needed to make sure everyone in the organization shared a common understanding of what the brand stood for and how we were going to evolve it in order to maintain our competitiveness and, and our brand leadership. And so I started working on that. We developed a whole initiative called Being Sony, which was a, just about um, helping everyone in the organization understand how to interpret and reinforce the brand in their daily decision-making and, and behaviors. I eventually left Sony, decided to quit and kind of start my own practice and bring a lot of the methods and approaches that I had developed there to other clients. But I will say that, you know, most recently what prompted me to write the book, first of all, I feel like there's just kind of like this culture crisis in America right now, just um, with a lot of companies and a lot of business leaders struggling with how to cultivate a healthy culture. But personally, I had an, an experience with a client who wanted me to help them kind of reposition and clarify their brand. But there was a huge disconnect between their brand and culture. And I needed to explain how do you actually integrate these two things? How do you make sure that they're aligned and synchronized, to use your word? And once I realized that I needed to do it for that client, I realized there are probably lots of other business leaders who could benefit from being taken through the steps as well. And so that's how I ended up writing the book Fusion. There's several elements in the book that goes into um, different pieces of the culture building process, the core purpose, the core values. And there's a, quite a lengthy list of things in there that are vital components around the ideology of the company and this, that, and the other. But you really hone in and talk about 
It's important for organizations to find their sole purpose of reason for being. Is that difficult for, for many leaders? I found it is um, because I think that they that most leaders think about it the wrong way. I think that most leaders will know, okay, we need to have some sort of purpose, so they want to develop some sort of mission statement. So the mission statement ends up being this kind of generic declaration of what the company does and how it's going to meet some certain performance target. You know, we develop cost-effective solutions that drive shareholder growth or, you know, something very banal like that. Um, Majestic. Yeah. (laughs) And because I think they're thinking about one stakeholder group or one way of looking at their business. And then, you know, there are other ways of looking at their business, like from their brand standpoint, they might want their brand to stand for something specific or, you know, might want to embody a particular kind of higher purpose. You end up with different statements or different ideas and no single guiding light. And so that's why in Infusion, I recommend that you set an overarching purpose, one single purpose, your sole purpose that drives what you do as an organization and ultimately what you want to stand for as a brand. Well, a lot of leaders want to go broad and, you know, they want to encompass all these big ideas. <laughs> but but really what differentiates you is when you can go narrow, right? And specific and and different. Yes, and different. I think Tony, you're absolutely right. I'm, you know, I think that identifying your unique purpose and your unique values is so important because uh, you need to give your employees a reason to join your company and to stay with your company. You need to give your customers a reason to buy from you. And if you're saying and doing the same things as everyone else, then why should they? I think I've even seen you maybe, maybe one of your tweets, but you said instead of unique, maybe think dis. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, it's interesting. I was just reading a paper about the importance of distinctiveness. And they used that word because they felt like it was an even stronger idea than unique. Your differentiation should be so salient that you are the only one or only you know company that does whatever you do. I know a lot of times when I get um, someone new who wants to engage me um, for advisory service or uh, help coach them through, it's usually because there's a big change or they've heard of about a new idea they want to implement or a new initiative or something. And, you know, if it's a culture change or something like that, you know, I'm usually really upfront with them and tell them, you know, this is going to take a while (laughs) and it's going to be a little difficult and it might take a minimum of five years for you to get get this to the place you really want it to be. So the process you describe in fusion, how's, what's the difficulty of that change process? It's been your experience on a scale of like one to 10 in difficulty. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely say it's on the upper end of the scale. Um, maybe not as difficult as recovering from bankruptcy or, you know, executing a very difficult M&A or something like that. But I think that generally it is difficult. The reason why it is, is because it requires relentless commitment and discipline. What I mean by that is integrating and aligning brand and culture is not something that happens overnight. It takes a while to your point. And I think it's easy to maybe get off track or to lose momentum or to get distracted by the day-to-day pressures of business. And so I think that you need to be relentlessly committed to 
making this happen and then disciplined in the sense of using your brand and your culture to guide everything that you do. So when you put your brand and culture at the center of everything you do, then it changes the way you think and act in every way. And sometimes, again, it's difficult to keep that focus, I guess is what I'm saying. Because we're talking behavior. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's it's it's anybody who's ever tried to be on an exercise regimen (laughs) or ever tried to be on a diet or ever tried to change their own behavior. Just multiply that times 1500 or (laughs) 15,000. Right. Right. I always tell CEOs like the change has to start with you and your team. Yes. Because you have to be the avatars of this behavior that people, you can't expect the front line to be the first to start. You know, that's the wrong end of it. We got to start it, you know, as the leaders of the organization have to demonstrate it uh, and be the examples. And so, so, you know, it, it takes a while for that to cascade throughout the organization. And I think that, you know, people probably underestimate how hard it is to change culture and brand. I think that they think it should be relatively easy, but it's not because you're right. I mean, you're trained, you are changing ingrained behaviors and attitudes and and it just takes time. Sometimes uh, in my experience, organizations can identify their purpose, their core values, and they can get a fairly good handle on their brand. But then you talk in the book, which I think is some of the most valuable parts of it about operationalizing it. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So in the book, I lay out five steps or strategies to operationalize this fusion of brand and culture. And the very first strategy is to organize and operate on brand. I mean, use your organizational design and your operational processes to reinforce and advance your desired culture and your desired brand. Kind of going back to my last comment, I think that people think, oh, we should just change culture and brand and we kind of do these kind of things off on the side, on the periphery of what we do. But really, you can reinforce your core values. You should reinforce your core values and your purpose through the way that you're organized. And when I mean organized, I mean like your org chart, you know, so how much hierarchy do you have versus autonomy? What roles do you have in your organization? Um, Maybe there are new roles that you need to create in order to move your organization in a certain direction, or maybe roles that you need to get rid of because they're kind of hanging on to old values or old ways of doing things. You know, maybe there are standards that you need to implement. Um, You know, Amazon is famous for having these like two pizza teams, meaning that they only have teams that are large enough that can be fed with two pizzas um, because they want to make sure that you know, these teams are tight knit and close and very collaborative. And if you get too big, they um, Amazon just feels like you can't do that. So in your organizational design, you can really advance your cultural priorities and then also in your operations and operations. I mean, everything from planning and budgeting to how you run a meeting, everything signals something to your people and to your customers. And I think that if you think about how you design your processes, and your and your kind of your day-to-day operations again that creates the environment for your desired culture to flourish just a few shows ago tabitha laser author of organization culture killers joined us and discussed the process of building an organization's culture she described the commitment of the leaders as the most important component for building your culture inevitably people talk about the role that communication plays uh, in culture. 
What What are some thoughts about good communication and how that attributes to culture? You know, that's it's such a huge piece from the top all the way down, right? And I don't know if you've heard, we need to be clear and transparent. If I hear that one more time, I think I'm going to throw up. But they say it. Senior leadership says it. In fact, in the book, I go into the concrete barrier in quite a bit of detail. I'm going to ask about that. Yeah, yeah. And so what we do is we say we're clear and transparent, and then we send out 15 emails to the supervisors and expect them to communicate that out to their workforce. And there's such a, a gap between the communications in addition to the deadly practices which are pushing the opposite of what we want to happen, that it's such a mess. And that's one reason I started on setting the right expectations, because you can't communicate anything well if you don't know what to communicate. Well, that was something that really caught my attention uh, in the book. You just brought it up, and uh, you describe it like an elephant, but it's the (laughs) concrete barriers that get uncovered in the digging down discovery process of the culture. So what is the concrete barrier? Yeah, I'm sure you've heard the term, you know, oh, from the top down, from the top down. It's not that way. And as long as we think that way, we're always going to be backwards because really the way it works is the top from the senior leadership up. They are sitting, if you were building a building, they're sitting in the basement and they're building the foundation for that building. And the foundation that they're building, if, if there's deadly practices in play, and, and a lot of times there is, this is their mission, vision, values, and expectations, right? If they don't develop those with balanced thought in mind, as they build their organization on top of that foundation above them, right? So the workforce is actually top. And so as they build above them, if, if those deadly practices are in play from the foundation that they built that's, you know, over their head, that causes so many problems. And, and the concrete barrier, you know, I've got the cartoons in my book and try to keep it fun. But really what it is is that communication barrier between setting a foundation of success for success and taking the path to success to have a culture of success that delivers sustainable success. A good example with the concrete barrier is the way we incentivize folks right now, especially leadership, We incentivize them to say, you know, reach these targets, reach these things versus do these things to get us to success, right? This is how you do the expectations to get to success. So what you end up doing with a lot of our incentives is you incentivize people to lie, right? If I have to have 20% increase in revenue to be able to get my bonus, that concrete barrier and that lack of communication between it, people out doing the work, they're hearing the message that we need to do whatever it takes to get that revenue up or we're not going to get our bonuses. We're not going to be incentivized. So let's see how we can manipulate that or let's see what shortcuts we can take. And that's just one example. You also talk about one of the most destructive attributes in a culture is undefined expectations. So can you talk about that a little bit? Oh, I'll just put this back on you. Have you ever worked somewhere where somebody one day tells you this is what you need to do and this is what our goals are for the organization and a week later a new leader comes in and it's a completely different story? Oh, I've done it, let alone have it done to me. (laughs) Right, right. uh, I'll confess, I'll confess. (laughs) There you go. And, And again, I am not the best leader. I am not the best manager. What I am is I'm really open to learning. I'm very humble. 
and I'll admit, I'll take the brunt for whatever goes wrong, even if I'm not even in the country when it happens. And I think that's part of the problem is when you don't define what success is and the expectations to not just be successful, but maintain success, you know, it's not a once and done kind of thing. You need, you need to be sustainable with it. If you don't do that, then it doesn't take much, you know, just a light breeze to basically take your organization, call it, you know, the house, the building you've built, and that light breeze, it's like the, the three pigs, right? It's like building your house out of straw. If you don't have defined expectations, one person comes in and says, we're changing everything. Boom, that can kill your culture so fast. And by killing your culture, I mean killing your ability to succeed. You talk about how leadership's decision-making skills really impact the culture. So can you expound on that just a tad? Yeah, yeah, just a tad. Um, I don't know if it's a fatal flaw of mine or what, but I'm a, I'm a very big picture seer. I always have been. And it's almost like I see all the different avenues. And I might miss some, but I see multiple different avenues where things can go wrong. And often I'll get in in meetings where there's discussions about change. And, again, they focus on the area that they, they know best. In doing that, they're not seeing these different avenues. And I personally have really struggled with how to communicate what's in my head, what I see. I, I mean, it's almost like visual pictures I can see of the different avenues that can go wrong. And I've really struggled to communicate that on my end. And so that's where I tried, you know, with this new scale, I'm trying to show them that when you make a decision, it's not yes or no. It's not black and white. There's many different factors that need to be pondered before you make that decision. Because if you do focus too much in one area, what you do is you increase the risk in other areas. We need a more balanced approach. And I think a lot of that just has to do with awareness. We don't do a lot of leadership training in, in the U.S. or around the world, really. We do more management training. And I think that's one of the flaws to how we make decisions. You know, you get it right or you get it wrong. There, there's no shades of gray. And, and when you're dealing with risk and important decisions and success, there's a lot of gray. And you have to consider the gray to prevent unwanted events from happening and to put in place mitigation for if something does happen. Or degrees of impact also. Yes. Right. Yes. I mean, there are some decisions you make that the impact is going to be low. Right. And there's some that it's going to be medium and there's some that are going to be, you know, high. And I and I've seen leaders mistake that. They thought it was a low impact decision when actually it was a very high impact right. decision and they were just they were just stupefied at the impact of what they decided how it had unintended consequences. Yes. If you'd like to hear more of the interviews from Grant Kimball, Denise Lee Yon, or Tabitha Laser, visit our website at clearvisiondevelopment.com. I'll be right back with this week's leadership lesson. The all-new three-row Subaru Ascent. Room for up to eight passengers. Choice of second-row captain's chairs or bench seating. Standard EyeSight driver assist technology. Coming from Kelly Blue Book's most trusted brand for four years running. The Subaru Ascent. Love is now bigger than ever. University Subaru, your locally owned dealer. From here, been here, always will be here. Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards, delivered straight to your inbox. 
Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. Text the word leadership to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. This is the CEO Leaders Podcast Show. I'm your host, Tony Richards. And as I mentioned earlier in the program, staff morale is one of those challenges that can attack the growth in your business. Nothing will disrupt performance, productivity, and profitability faster than your staff having poor morale. People who are unhappy have checked out. They've disengaged. In fact, according to a poll by Gallup Incorporated, 71% of employees are actively disengaged and 53%, they're just plain unhappy. An example that I could cite is in a large company that I worked with when a manager just left unexpectedly. The person immediately below that manager, that direct report, was asked to step in and assume that manager's responsibilities, and that employee recognized that the opportunity was there to further show the organization what she could do. So she jumped right in to that new position with a truckload of enthusiasm, a bunch of new ideas, and a desire to please the CEO. The HR department assured the employee she would be compensated for stepping into that new position, but three months later, that employee still had not been adjusted in the compensation for her work. Now, this is a big company where this employee's skills are in short supply. Guess what the attitude of that employee turned out to be? She's disengaged. She feels like they took advantage. She feels like looking for another place to go work. And you know what? She's kind of PO'd. The majority of issues with employee morale and staff climate are created by leaders who don't pay attention to what's going on. Managers who are not doing the job they were hired to do, which is manage stuff and lead people. A wide range of elements can contribute to the climate in an organization. Now, think about it this way. Climate is the sum total of all the things that impact the spirit inside an organization. The next time a leader walks around the company, they should listen and observe. Are people happy? Do they catch the leader's eye? Do they say hello? Are they eager to talk to you? Is there laughter? Are there interactions? Are there small groups meeting? Are there employees having great animated and happy conversations? Does the leader know people by name? Do they say hi to them when they pass them in the hallway? How does the environment look? Are people proud of where they work? Climate is one of the most important predictive performance barometers a company can pay attention to in managing the work community. When the staff starts to own the climate of the company, when they see the impact that they're having on productivity, a subtle shift starts to happen inside the organization. 
Culture is the ideal environment you would like to have, which is driven by your mission, your vision, your values. And climate is the actual workplace reality. It's what's actually going on, juxtaposed against the perfect cultural environment that you would like to have. Climate very often starts with the staff being given an opportunity to express their feelings and perceptions about the company in some form of survey or assessment. We do climate uh, surveys all the time. And I can tell you, you want to get staff feedback and it needs to be anonymous because you don't want to make them uncomfortable. You want them perfectly comfortable and transparent in their responses. This is a critical component. You, you want to know where you are so you can analyze the gaps between your culture and your climate so you can create the cultural environment where employees feel valued, listened to, respected. Staff morale and the climate of the organization are the responsibility of the CEO and every leader in the organization. And that responsibility starts with the CEO. So here's some critical questions you can ask yourself when thinking about staff morale and the current state of climate in your company. How do you recognize employees for their contributions? Typically, when it comes down to it, when you give a, an employee a choice between money or some recognition and affirmation, they usually pick recognition and affirmation. So how do you do that with your people? What is the performance plan that you have for your employees? How do you set outcomes and goals and, and growth plans? And are managers conducting one-on-ones with their direct reports so they can keep in contact with them and be able to help them along in their day-to-day uh, -day job and also in their career journey? How do you, as a company, help employees feel empowered to make some critical decisions? This is where trust comes in. And I talked about just an episode here a week or two ago about trust is on the give-get principle. You don't get trust without giving it first. Matter of fact, most things in life work that way. You don't get unless you give, right? So when you can assign tasks and projects to employees and empower them by giving them that trust, well, then that helps them grow, right? The reality is most people spend more time interacting with people in their work environment than they do their own family. They spend 8 to 10, 11 hours at work and just a few hours maybe in the evening with their family. And that makes the success of a work community a really high priority for any business leader. Lots of research now support the belief that when people feel good about their job and about their manager and about the work they're doing, they are happy and more productive. And more productive employees means better results. It means higher margins, better performance, and a positive impact on your customers. Unhappy or disengaged employees have a negative impact on all those aspects as well. Exceptional employees dislike working with people who are not happy. And they also question the reason management keeps these people around. Customers will come into contact with disengaged employees sometimes, and they're going to remember that encounter longer than they'll remember an encounter with an exceptional employee. We all remember bad experiences a little longer than we do good ones. So by, be, by you being proactive in creating a climate and a culture where employees feel valued, where employees know their ideas do count, where employees feel empowered to make decisions that contribute to the well-being of the company as a whole, 
you, the CEO and business leader, is going to allow that company the opportunity to not just survive, but to thrive. That's our show today. We're brought to you by University Subaru. From here, been here, always will be here. University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. Be sure to give our show a five-star rating. It helps us move up the podcast charts. Other people then will become more interested and can also share in the value that you're getting from us each week on Better Than Before. You can follow me on Twitter at Tony Richards 4 and you can follow our company at ClearVisionDEV. On behalf of our associate producer, Whitney Coker, and chief producer, William Foster, I'm Tony Richards on Better Than Before, reminding you that everything gets better when you get better. Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.